We have all been invited into the greatest love story of all time. So for those of you who are on the romantic side, you are being loved more than you can possibly know or think. And we can rejoice in that this morning as we are here on Easter morning, the 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 and verses 42 through 58 is our sermon text this morning. And I've entitled it with this very original title, Jesus is Risen. <laughs> so can anyone tell me where the great resurrection chapter is in the Bible? I'm listening. I'll give you a hint, it's our sermon text. <laughs> it's 1 Corinthians 15. So if you ever want to just read about the resurrection, uh, this is the most detailed uh, description of the resurrection that we have. So we're gathered here this morning following what was Friday night when Jesus died and then was buried, when the darkness enfolded all of the earth, and it's here on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, as the resurrection takes place, and this is a time of celebration. Death has been overcome. Jesus is no longer in his grave. And so the course of human history has been changed once and for all. So I'm going to, in the spirit of, of all that, this part, this celebration that we're going through this morning, every time that I say Jesus is risen in the, in the sermon, I want you to you know, respond loudly, he is risen indeed. So we can add a little fun, a little joy, then as we reflect upon these amazing events that have taken place in human history, and as we worship Jesus himself. So we see that Jesus is risen then. All right. <laughs> so these are life-giving words. You know, they aren't just, you know, if we're having fun with this some this morning, but you know, this is not a story. It is a story in one sense, but it's something that should impact our hearts. It should gain traction in our hearts. It becomes real. And it becomes a personal relationship with Christ who has been risen from the dead. So we walk through each day. Christ walks through that day with us. He's not just some story. He's not just far off in heaven, which he is, of course, but he's also walking through the person of Christ and represented uh, by him and also in the spirit that he is walking through each day with us. It's a personal relationship. And we all are growing deeper and deeper day by day in that relationship as we experience different things that maybe uh, bring us hurt or pain or things that uh, maybe we rejoice in as we see almost miraculous things take place in our lives. But every morning when you get up, Jesus is there and he wants to walk through that day with you. He just doesn't want you having some story and he's out there. So all through each day, you can be praying and talking to Christ. That's what he wants. The reason he died is to have that personal relationship with you and me. And this takes time. If you're not experiencing that right now, then ask him for that, a deeper walk, a personal relationship. You're not alone you see, that's what the devil wants you to think. He wants to isolate you and get you over here all by yourself. 
And he can work on you. And you haven't got brothers and sisters to pull alongside you and encourage you and remember, help remember that Christ has died for you. He's with you at all times. And so Jesus is risen then brings the promise of glory and the hope of eternal life as well as his personal relationship with him. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, some amazing and wonderful words that I hope will bless you this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how. It's through the resurrection. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfolding, kept in heaven for you. You've already got it. It's being kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your salvation is secure. Your inheritance is secure. God's guarding it and watching over that. Isn't that marvelous? This is real. This is not a story. This is reality in your hearts and lives. So we need to hear that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're born again to a living hope, an inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven. Jesus is risen. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, the Apostle Paul said that the resurrection means that Jesus' disciples would be conformed to the image of God's Son. You're going to be like Jesus in every way as you're becoming more and more like him day by day. But in the end, you will be like him perfectly. You won't be Jesus, but you will be like him. That's what he's doing. He's changing our character, our beliefs our relationships. We're becoming more and more like him all the time. So it's conformed to the image of God's son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined. Notice the past tense. It's already happened. It's not been completed. It's already not yet for those who are a little more you know, theologically advanced. Predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The resurrection of Jesus means that all of Jesus' disciples are going to be glorified. He's going to do that. It's by grace it's all going to take place. That we are going to be like Jesus. We're going to be in the image of Christ and be glorified. Jesus is risen. He is risen Furthermore, in Titus 3, the Apostle Paul said that Jesus' resurrection was great and glorious news. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you hear that? Jesus' resurrection. Once again, this is sort of parallel to what we've already seen. 
that his resurrection is for all his disciples who receive new hearts. We're new creatures in Christ. We've been born again, whatever word you want to use, they all parallel mean the same thing. And also we receive the gift of God, the Holy Spirit living within us and a certain hope of resurrection and eternal life. Jesus is risen. Now please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And now going down to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, is, for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in your labor, is not in vain. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. This is the word of God. Be God. Please be seated. 
Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this word that we have this morning. We thank you that, uh, that you're here with us. Uh, and we ask that through your presence and power that you would impact each and every heart uniquely according to its need, that you would minister to those that need encouragement, that you would bring rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. Lord, we pray for those who need wisdom and understanding for specific things in their lives that they might hear something this morning straight from your word that would uh, lift them up and bring that wisdom that they need. Lord, thank you for your presence. We love you, we praise you, and we adore you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, my first point, Jesus' death and resurrection fulfilled the covenant of grace. You know, the covenant of grace is something we don't always think about a lot, but it's something that organizes the entire Bible. And it's something we need to think about a lot more because when we think about a covenant, it's something that's permanent. It's not anything that should be broken. And so when we talk about a covenant of grace, that means an unbreakable covenant. It's a grace covenant because if you haven't been part of it to make it, then you can't break it, right? So that's a wonderful, joyous, great covenant that we're a part of, that we walk in every single day. And so let's think about it just a little bit. So God knew before he created the heavens and the earth, when he granted Adam free will in the garden, that Adam would disobey and rebel against him. God wasn't caught off guard. He knew that was going to happen. He knows all things. He's not limited by time. And so he wasn't caught shorthanded and have to react to what Adam had done. He'd already got a plan in place called the covenant of grace. Something that he had put together before the creation was even put into place or created. And so we see a part of that in Genesis 15 where he it's, it just teaches uh, Abraham how this covenant of grace is going to work in his life. And we see something from that ourselves. It's something very important. So God approached Abraham by grace. Abraham wasn't searching around for God. God found Abraham. And he asked Abraham to gather a heifer and a goat and a ram and then some birds but he told Abraham to take each one of those larger animals and to cut them in half. And then he said, I want you to put them facing each other. I want you to create a path for me so that one half is over here and one half is over here so that you can walk down between those animals, those dead animals, the blood of which is just dripping from each half. And so Abraham obeyed him. He did that. And then, as the sun was setting, God caused Abraham to fall into a deep sleep in a thick and dreadful darkness, it says. And when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared. And those are the two things that represent God. So God appeared. And those two things passed down between those divided animals down that pathway. 
And in Abraham's time, what that meant was whenever two people made a covenant together, whenever two kings or whoever made a covenant together, what they were saying is they were walking down between those bloodied animals, those dead animals, that be it as unto me, let me die like that if I don't uphold my side of the covenant. It was a very serious thing in those days. So what's astounding that we see here is that only God walked down between those divided animals, those dead animals. Where was Abraham? He's asleep over here. He never walked down between those two animals. So what was God saying? He's saying, I'm going to uphold not only my side, God's side of the covenant, but I'm also going to uphold man's side. Because man's incapable of upholding his side of the covenant. We know that the Old Testament ends with man needing a savior. Jesus still had to come. Man was given everything that he, he could possibly have. He understood how to please God. He understood that there was worship and that was taking place. But that wasn't enough. He was still breaking the law every day. So this was an amazing act of grace that God did with Abraham. And of course, what God had in mind is that his son would come as a man. First representative was Adam, who failed. The second representative is Jesus, who succeeded. So this covenant of grace is totally dependent on whether or not Jesus succeeded and obeyed God and was without sin so he could uphold man's side of the covenant. As we know, as we look back, we know he did. That's why we call it a covenant of grace. Jesus' blood was shed. That's what Jesus had to do in order to uphold that side of the covenant. So this is a gracious and great thing that we can look back. So we see Jesus offering himself on the cross because he loves us. And this is how he incorporates us into his love story. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his beloved son, Jesus, to die in our place. And so the glory of God is seen here as Jesus rises from the dead after he's completed that end of the covenant of grace that we walk in today as believers where he had experienced the wrath of God for our sins, he was the substitutionary sacrifice so that every sin that any believer ever commits both yesterday, today, or tomorrow till the time that Christ comes back, it was paid for on that cross in Jesus' blood. Wow. You can't lose your salvation tomorrow if you sin. It's being held for you in heaven, right? It's already there. It's already done. Jesus is risen from the dead. It's an empty grave. So Jesus upheld the covenant of grace for us, something we could not do. Jesus is risen. My second point is a question. What proof do we have that Jesus rose from the dead? You know, when you 
start getting into places like seminary and all, there's questions like this that come up and you know, you learn apologetics, how do you defend the gospel? And so one of the common questions is, well, where's the proof? <laughs> Good question. One we need to answer as well. Well, the first thing we need to realize is that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it was about 25 years after Jesus had died on the cross. And that's something we need to know. We know that many were still alive from that time that witnessed Jesus' resurrection. But let me give you an example that hopefully will help just a little bit. In 1996, this is not supposed to be political, okay? I'm not political up here. <laughs> So in 1996, Bill Clinton was re-elected president of the United States. But what if I told you now, 27 years later, that Bob Dole won that presidential election? What would you tell me? You're a liar. That's not true. We know it's not true. And you'd be right. And so that's the same idea that's going on here. As he writes 1 Corinthians, the entire book, then uh, or letter, then it's evident that people would know that it was an untruth if he says something that's wrong. So in 1 Corinthians 15, three through eight, it says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So there's no record of this being refuted and being said that it's lies. There's nothing in the extant literature anywhere that says that there is any cry of saying, oh, there's a bunch of lies, the first Corinthians is false. So what we see here then is that many witnesses saw the risen Christ. So their, their eyes had witnessed him, right? And many heard the risen Christ. So they heard what he had to say and what his claims were. And the apostle Thomas actually touched the risen Christ. So we've got sight, we've got hearing, and we've got touching all involved here. John 20, verses 26 and 27, it says, eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, the doubting Thomas, right? We hear about the doubting Thomas. Now he's a believing Thomas as he's touched the risen Christ. So he touched those same wounds that Jesus received on the cross. The wounds that proved that this was the same body that was on the cross and died that now has been risen And the risen Jesus appeared to some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So there's other stories. There's many stories that we probably don't even have recorded in the Bible of the different visitations and things that Jesus made. 
And he appeared to Peter and the disciples on the beach. He ate fish with them. He instructed them to feed his sheep. And then he appeared to Paul, who's writing this epistle on the Damascus Road. Jesus is risen. You guys are doing a good job at that, you know. (laughs) My third point is also a question. What happened to Jesus as the result of his resurrection? Good question, right? So 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 tells us several things. First of all, Jesus was the first man to be raised from the dead. He was the first fruits of those who had died. Through the man Adam, all mankind had received his nature. Everyone born into this world is born with Adam's sin nature. He was our first representative. Through Adam, man spiritually died, lost their relationship with God. And so now we have the second Adam. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of God, where his body was transformed and glorified. And he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. Imagine that. He turned it down from the offer of the devil. He said, no, I don't want to report to you about having the kingdoms, kingdoms of the earth. Now he's got them all, plus the kingdom of heaven that he brought with him when he came to this earth. And so he brings spiritual life. And he sends out the Holy Spirit after he ascends to the right hand of the Father after he's been given this authority and he pours that Holy Spirit into the church. He's here this morning because you're here this morning. He lives in you. He wants to lead you and guide you into all righteousness. He wants you to experience the love of Christ. Jesus is still right now destroying all the works of the enemy, of the devil, He's destroying every rule and every authority and power that opposes God. And when the victory is complete and the last enemy death is destroyed, then he'll deliver the kingdom of God to his Father. What a glorious thing. And Jesus' resurrection proved that all the claims and promises that he had made during his earthly ministry were true. For example, he claimed that he was God and was sent from God. So he told the leaders, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. It's happened. Resurrection has taken place. Resurrection proved Jesus' claims are true. Jesus is risen. risen Glory to God. Fourth point, how do we benefit from Jesus' resurrection? How do we benefit? It's important we know. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul who sins shall die. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're going to die. Hell is going to be yours. You will be suffering throughout eternity. You're spiritually dead. And what Jesus died for is so that you can have spiritual life. 
And you have future and a hope and all these promises and things that we've been talking about because of what the resurrection proves that will happen and has happened and will continue to happen. And I hope that you hear that and you want that because it's yours for the asking. So as we said, every child is born under the curse of the law and death. That's how we're born into this world. And so we need new hearts. We need to see that we can have the forgiveness of our sins. That we can have heaven and inherit all the things of heaven. For those who are Christ, you already have those. But they're also open for those who might want them this morning. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you'd like one, please talk to somebody before you leave. If you can't find anybody else, please come talk to me. I'd love to tell you. I'd love for you to be able to hear the truth about what it means to have eternal life and inheritances and learn how to love the way Jesus loves to enter into his love story. Jesus is the one who frees us from the curse of the law. That means our sins are fully forgiven when Jesus rises from the dead. Romans 8, 33 and 34 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And he's interceding for us right now. Every day he's interceding for you. You're not alone ever. Even if there's no people around. Jesus is there for you and he's interceding for you. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort at times when I'm challenged by things that I don't understand. When I want to trust God with circumstances that I'm being presented with that don't make sense, don't seem fair. When you're mistreated or hurt, I don't want to pray for people that hurt me. But Jesus says, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. And he's praying for me. That helps me to know that. That he's going to pray for me that I might be able to forgive. That I might be able to make it through that circumstance that I never wanted to have to walk through. He's there. He's there now. And he loves you. And he's got an amazing plan for your life that's better than anything you could plan for yourself. Jesus is risen. Verses 42 through 58 provide us with additional meaning and the benefits that we gain to our Savior's death and resurrection. Verse 42 says we are born perishable. It means we can die. And we're going to die. But when Jesus returns, we'll be raised from the dead as those who are imperishable. We're going to live forever, brothers and sisters. We're going to live in perfect kingdom that's Motives are always love for one another. Always trying to do what's best for each other. We were born in dishonor as sinners. We're going to be raised in glory. 
we're going to be like Jesus because of the grace of the covenant that we're walking in. We were born in weakness, but we'll be raised in power. There's a power in the gospel, Romans 1, 17 and 16 there. The first man, Adam, was created from the dust of the earth, whereas Jesus is the man from heaven. The second representative, the perfect representative. And so we have life eternal because Jesus has borne those sins that we have committed. The incredible promises are only possible because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is risen. Verses 50 through 58 say it's impossible flesh and blood to live in the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit a kingdom that is imperishable. Sin cannot exist in the kingdom of God because when sin is there, it gets destroyed. The glory and the grace of God and the love of God are greater than our sin. So sin, in the end, will be destroyed in the presence of of those who are in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus returns, all the children of God, all of Jesus' disciples will enter that kingdom and they'll be transformed. Be transformed. It will happen suddenly, the scripture said, in the twinkling of an eye when the last trumpet sounds. Can you imagine the sound of that huge trumpet that we all can hear? And the suddenness of it, we don't know how fast it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. And are you going to be ready for that? This is amazing. And this is what will signify Jesus' return. And so our bodies are going to be raised imperishable. They're going to be transformed by the power of God. We were born with a natural body that had a sin nature, or we'd be raised a spiritual body. It's going to be amazing, this transformation that takes place. We're going to be glorified like Jesus was glorified. Think about that. We, we can't see it or feel it or taste it or touch it right this second. But by faith, this is what Jesus is going to do when we are raised from the dead, when he returns. So it's a great mystery, the Bible says, how this transformation takes place. You know, the greatest scientists in the world cannot explain this. But God can do it because he's God. <laughs> and we're not. And so we believe it by faith. So the answers to all of this and this transformation, are, you know, they lie in the councils and confines of heaven. And so what happens is then the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal becomes immortal. I'm talking about you. Can you imagine? You're going to live forever. You're never going to taste death after Christ comes back. Nothing can stop you from inheriting all the inheritance that's waiting for you up there. So we don't need to know how we're transformed. We just need to enjoy the fact we're going to be transformed. <laughs> and we're growing in that even now as sanctification is taking place. So Jesus right now is in heaven. 
He's praying for you. He's watching over you. And he's waiting to return for you when all these glorious things that we've been talking about will come to pass. And he'll be finishing what he started. Jesus is risen. Jesus loves you. You're in his love story.